Have you ever awakened from a dream that left such an impression on you that you would literally shake your head awake just to sort out the dream from reality? Whether it was a feeling of dread or maybe anger or maybe an idea so fantastic that even when you thought you were awake, you realized that the phantasm of the dream still had you in its grip? Well... We have an entire generation held in the clutches of such a strange illusion. It's much like that. Are you interested? If you are, grab a seat by the fire. Smell the coffee, because it's time to wake up now, millennials. You have found the frequency of the Enemy Patrol podcast. Please stand by for new directions. Over. Welcome to the Fire of the Enemy Patrol. I am the Anomic Ranger, your very own reality scout. And as your scout, I give you information that you can use as you move ahead in this adventure called life. And since you're the general in this little campaign called life, it's you that makes the ultimate decisions. However, I can play the role of a scout. I give you the lay of the land. You can use my reports or don't. I just tell you what I see. So anyway, if you like these, if you like this afterwards, and if you want to know more, you can subscribe to wherever you listen to your podcasts so you don't miss a report from the enemy patrol. And you can also take a look at my website at anomicranger.com and you can read some of the stuff that I write there as well. If you want to send me an email with a question or uh, any comments that you have, Um, You can use the contact portion on my website or you can email me direct at animepatrolhq at yahoo.com. So if you want to make a comment on my website, you actually have to register. It's my small way of trying to keep spam off of uh, my website. So... Yes, we're going to be talking about the millennials, and I think this one is pretty interesting. I felt like I really sort of fell down a bit of a rabbit hole when we get talking about this one, because I thought one thing going in, and I think a little differently coming out. And the bottom line is... I'll just tell you my conclusion. I believe that the millennials are the very first socially engineered generation. So there you go. This is season one, episode number seven. And if you've listened to any of my other podcasts, you probably know that I do talk about things sometimes in a generational sense as we're sitting around the fire here just to help you understand. I... No, that that's not the best, you know, it's not the most accurate way to speak about people or groups or anything, but I find that it's a really good far out bird's eye view of understanding the path that society is taking. So I often talk about things in a generational sense, at least until we get through all the different generations and 
as you realize we're at the millennials we're almost there because i don't know that much about uh, gen z or whatever they will ultimately be called some people are saying they're going to be called the i generation i don't know about that but now normally i break these little campfire chats into three sections i talk about the veneration of the normal man in one section i talk about lies found in society in another and then i usually at the end i give a few practical tips that uh, might help you think a little bit differently but i found that as i got into this one that even the concept of normal itself got murky and everything was so convoluted it was unbelievable there's no really one defining moment to the millennial generation. Um, there's no main underlying philosophy of the millennial generation. Like if you look at, uh, say, like the greatest generation, of course they had the World War II and they had the um, went through the Great Depression and there were several things that just happened in the world that kind of formed them for who they are or what they are. And then, of course, if you talk about underlying philosophy, if you look at the boomer generation, I mean, that was the whole tune in, turn on and drop out thing, right? Uh, everybody put a flower in your hair. They're going to change the world. And I've talked about that one in past, too. Um, I do believe it was episode five, but I, I could be wrong on that. Anyway, they do tend to blur together, but you can go on my website and find that. But anyway... So I've decided to break this one up differently. Before I tell you how I'm going to break this little talk up, I just want to give my standard caveat when I'm talking about generational thinking. It's a bird's eye view. It's very far up. There's bleed over on both ends, and there's always room for individuals in there. Not everybody, just because you happen to be the age group to fit into a generation, doesn't mean that you fit everything in that generation. In fact, it's a good, good chance that you don't, but... As thinking about the direction society is taking, it's interesting to look at things in a generational context. So don't get upset. Don't uh, worry about it. If it fits, it fits. If it doesn't, it doesn't. Now, the other caveat I want to add to this as we talk about the millennials is this is different than all the other ones I've talked about because all the other ones, they've pretty much left their influence They've lived their life for the most part. I know there's still a lot of boomers around. I mean, heck, there's still a few of the greatest generation left around, and there's certainly a lot of Gen Xers and a few silent generation people living around too. So, But still, once you reach a certain age, you're not going to write large on the culture as a whole. But you see, the millennials are still writing their story, so we don't really have it all yet. And on that note, I will also say that I think the millennials are getting a really raw deal with the way that they're looked at in general society and on the internet. And the reason I say this isn't because there isn't some things about the that generation that doesn't confuse me or puzzle me, because there is plenty. But uh, let me tell a story to get that started. Um, I knew that it was going to be different the first time that I was talking to a fellow that I worked with he was a little bit older than me so his kids were older and so his son would have been one of the first millennials I suppose coming of age and so knew it was the big birthday it was the number 16 so I was teasing his dad that oh yeah he's gonna have his license he's gonna want to borrow your vehicles and he just looked at me and said no I said well what do you mean you're not gonna let him oh no he's not interested he doesn't want to get his license 
Now, to anybody of the boomer generation or Xer generation, just that whole idea that when you're 16, you didn't want your driver's license. <laughs> I knew it was going to be different. But I never really thought too much of it. And then you, you know, you hear stuff, you know, millennials are this and millennials are that. And they've been blamed for some really stupid things. Like I, I seen something on the internet when I was researching this about how millennials are blamed because there's not as much interest in, in dishes anymore, like fancy china. Or the other one I heard was uh, bounce sheets or dryer sheets. The millennials weren't buying dryer sheets, so they were going to disappear and people were upset about this. Like, give me a break. So, yeah, I think the millennials have gotten a bad deal. That doesn't mean that I'm going to, you know, like handle the whole thing with kid gloves or anything. It just means that I'm going to tell you what I think and what I said at the beginning. I really believe it. I think the millennials have gotten a bad deal because I think they're the very first socially engineered generation. So I'm going to give you this little talk and you can decide for yourself after we're done if you think that the millennials are a socially engineered generation or not. So anyway, I've broken this one up a little differently. Like I said, um, I'm going to go with four main headings. I'm going to go with just general information on the millennials. Then I'm going to talk about what the world was like when they were growing up. Didn't play a huge role, but there was a couple mentions in there. And then I'm going to talk about responsibility. Who is responsible for this? Like, where is this coming from? And this is where things start to get really convoluted and really weird almost. And then I'm going to talk about a few traits, which mostly what I'm going to do is I'm going to try and make some connections. And I'm going to end up telling a story that I decided I could not make all the connections. I could sit down here and I could talk about this for a month and I'd never make all the connections to show how much different connecting things went into it. But anyway, so it's up to you to see if my rustic reasonings are correct. This is just a report from your humble reality scout. In the end, it'll be up to you to make those connections, just like it's up to you to make the decisions in your life. a little bit of general information on the millennials in case you didn't know that's the generation that's born between 1981 and 1996 the millennials are now the largest age grouping in history that's interesting millennials are the first generation and I know some would argue with this and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick my um, feet into the grinder right away but I would say raise almost 100% on the concept of feminine values. Now, this one's going to really, there'll be some, oh, no, it's a patriarchal society. No, no, actually, it's not. I think the millennials were the beginning of kids taught on feminine concepts. And, you know, I'm sure I'm going to get into feminism at some point in this little podcast because you can't sit around and talk around the fire and talk about the way the world was going without mentioning the women. So I'm sure it's going to come in there eventually. But the biggest thing I want you to think about is niceness. And how during the time that we're talking about here in the late 70s, early 80s, and then up into the mid 80s to the 90s, it was 
about niceness. Like boys were messy and they were nasty and they had to their their horrible masculine traits had to be drugged out or stopped or changed or something. So that's why I'm gonna say that they were raised pretty much on feminine values. They're also the first generation raised on uh, by what I'm going to call the interconnected whole. And with that, I'm talking about technology in part, but you'll see as we talk more and more, you're going to see the interconnection between technology and philosophy and just general belief systems because it those end up as much interconnected as the technology does. So as we go through this, think in terms of the narrative. The narrative is the story that we all grow up with. The narrative of who you are, what country you come from, who your parents are, what you believe, yada, yada, yada. So what frames all that? Well, there's things like your parents frame it, your culture, especially the media part of the culture helps frame what the narrative is. And of course, then there's politics and education. There's all kinds of things in there that go into serving this narrative of how we're raised or what system that we're raised on. And you're going to see how that has become much more connected. And if you just think about it right now, you go, well, you just shrug your shoulder and go, yeah, I mean, parents, culture, politics, education, media. Yeah, pretty connected. And if it's that connected with um, technology, it's also connected a lot with philosophy. And then I think the other thing that was surprising to me, I never really thought about before, but much of the raising of the millennials was done by their own peers. And this is a combination we're going to get into when we talk about world events and again, technology. This idea of the interconnected whole, the idea of, um, you know, the internet and, and mobile phones. And, and I think it served as kind of a final severing of anything heritage. Because, I mean, let's face it, if you're growing up as a millennial and you're on your phone and you're talking to your friends and you're looking at the latest videos and you're doing all that, and it's like, you're not going to see a lot of your heritage on there because most of your heritage hasn't even figured out that you're on there. I'm talking about parents and grandparents, although some parents got into it, some didn't. But yeah, the millennials were the first ones that were raised. We're going to look into that a little bit more about how they were raised by their own peers. But anyway... And you also got to look at it's the first generation that was raised by a theory and a formula. And you can look at that and you could thank the boomers for that because that is the final gasp of the boomer rebellion against their parents was that they were going to do it right. They were going to make the world a better place. So speaking of the world, let's look at that. What did the world look like? What were some of the events that took place while the millennials were growing up? Well, one of the big ones, of course, that comes up all the time when you research this is 9-11. Now, I just say that because the millennials don't really remember what the world was before. I mean, they might have a vague idea. They, I mean, they weren't super young or anything. They were, I mean, we're talking about people that were born in 81. So, you know, when 9-11 takes place, it's like, you know, they're getting up there. But still, when you're young, when you're in your teens, even early 20s, you're some are very aware of the world, but many aren't. But anyway, the, it was definitely something that was big 
for the millennials. They remembered. And the concept of this forever war that we've had against terrorism is interesting to look at as a uh, one of the factors in this in this interconnectedness because I mean it was about fighting terrorism and terrorism is basically about fear right so I don't think before that I mean yeah World War II happened or or the Great Depression happened but that was like everybody was facing something and they were all working together it wasn't this anonymous background fear and really what that fear was there for is to teach everybody to trust the system the system was there otherwise these these people would appear out of nowhere with bombs or guns or something it was this fear of terrorism which i'm not saying it's not a real fear i'm just saying that maybe maybe that wasn't handled as well as it could have been but anyway so the other event to look at is uh, say the 2008 crash now this one affects millennials when they're older at least in america um in canada the 2008 crash was not as bad as it was in america at all because we didn't have that subprime subprime mortgage thing going but it's still you i read a lot about how that affected them and the big thing that it did to the millennials is they were shocked by the failure of the whole thing like it just it just didn't make sense why everything should fall apart they were on a track they were doing something and now all of a sudden that you know they couldn't afford a home or the, you know it was like the whole crash thing just caught made them realize that they were vulnerable basically and yes i mean there's lots you can look at greed you can look at blaming but it's not like it's the first crash that's ever happened in history or anything so I would say probably the biggest thing that affected the millennials, really. I mean, you can look at these events, and yes, they played a part, but I would say that the flood of technology that happened all throughout their lifetime probably had more to do with shaping the millennials than any event like 9-11 or the 2008 subprime crash, or you can even say, you can go before that one and whenever the dot-com bubble burst or whatever, I mean, it affected some people, but it didn't affect others, so... No, I would say the flood of technology, the, the 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 all of a sudden everything being interconnected, and the and the flood of information, and the blinding fast changes in that technology. I mean, it, it that's the landmark thing. That's the moment of generational change. That's really why the millennials are the millennials, and they aren't just you know some insipid pablum of what may be coming if if other generations don't change things and just everybody will be the millennial generation afterwards if they get the social engineering down right but anyway i would say that the technology flood is the landmark that is the the moment of generational change i mean you think about the concept of the internet and mobile phone technology being connected instant information instant communication I mean, all of a sudden, individuals can compete with institutions. I mean, look at what happened to the recording industry. When, when, I was a, when I was younger, I mean, that was the big thing. If you were a music star and you could get discovered by a record label, I mean, that was it. You were on your way. I mean, the closest thing that you'd come to in later days would be like getting the, the um, golden buzzer or whatever on one of those. I can't even remember what it's called anymore. I've watched a couple little clips from that one when somebody gets up and does a good show or sings a good song then supposedly they're on their way well with the recording industry it wasn't on the stage but it was yeah if you made a record label that's you were really doing something and now individuals they get a little bit of equipment or 
get together with friends and get a little bit of equipment together. I mean, they can almost compete with what used to be multi-million dollar companies. You also have to think that this internet and mobile phone connection allows 100% of socialization by your own peers. You know, there's there's no concept anymore of what they used to call joining the, joining the age of the majority. I mean, that's just gone. It's like that was used to be a big thing about getting your driver's license or, or it's just you were now of age. Well, the millennials never really had that because there was no competition to get into greater society. It was like they lived in the world of their peers and what their peers were posting and what their peers were saying and what their peers were, the, the idea of joining the adults. The adults weren't even in their world. It was like a separate world. Uh, some of the other things that allows millennials to educate themselves outside of institutional education, which surprisingly enough hasn't killed institutional education, although I think it's going to eventually here. I think the days of, I think the millennials are going to be the last one to make that mistake, dumping hundreds of thousands of dollars into a piece of paper that tells them they can, well, doesn't tell them they can do anything. It tells them they were there for something. But, um, yeah, and then you also have this time, you have the rise of the micro-celebrity, you know, the fame obsession, the concept of personal branding. Like, if you went back in time, if you took a millennial back in time to say, like, somebody from the 70s and they started going on and on about their personal branding, they wouldn't even know what you're talking about. Like, personal branding? Like, are you a rock star? Are you a sports hero? No? Well, what are you talking about? Anyway, maybe I don't even have a good understanding of what personal branding is. That's near as I can understand it. It's about your online persona. I mean, the idea, whole idea of changing the establishment kind of disappears. I mean, the parents, the, the boomers, I mean, that was the big thing. They're going to change the establishment. They're going to fight the man. Well, that whole thing disappears pretty much for the millennials. It becomes more about replacing than it does about changing. I mean, you just ignore the establishment and it goes away. That's pretty much what they did. So technology, although it's very bad for hooking people together, and it is it is in the end an equalizer. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. I mean, as long as you can afford a mobile device, you can be as powerful as the next guy with a mobile device. I mean, even things like geography begin to disappear because you see Western culture being shipped everywhere and everybody liking the same kind of roughly kind of music and different things like that. So geography goes away. I mean, it's a lot of things go away. Technology is a great equalizer. But the other problem with these interconnected technologies is they reinforce this overall idea of collectivism. And they punish the attributes of individualism. I mean, you just think about Twitter. Twitter's a mob. Twitter's a mob that you throw stuff at and you, and you hope for who's us. And if you throw the wrong thing, they'll mob you and try and hang you from the nearest tree. I mean, it's a mob. That's all it is. So just think about this. Think about this this interconnection, this, this total... Uh, technology interconnection, the social inter interconnection, uh, you, the interconnection of, uh, you look at uh, schooling and, and just the media. It's like everybody's singing from the same song sheet. So who's responsible for this? 
This is section three. Who is responsible for this? And I said we were going to talk about parents and a whole bunch of other things too, but there's a lot of responsibility to go around for this. My first inclination, of course, was to think about the parents, like who the parents were. But and I looked at the millennials and, and how they grew up, and, you know, there's so many other things that played a part. Education played a huge part. I mean, this is the day and age when parents got their kids into, you know, basically play school, and and they stuck them into as many institutional events as they could. So your education, part of it was huge. And then, of course, I already talked about this interconnected peers, um, being raised by your peers, like everything's about what your friends think. And then, of course, the media. And this is the growing time when the media all starts to all be the same. I mean, this is the day and age of the whole time the millennials were growing up. All it was was, was media companies buying each other out. And I think now there's like six in the world. So they can sing from the same song sheet because there's only six of them. So you see this coming together of, of the media and it probably played way more of a role in the development than they ever did in the past. I mean, the media, I mean, you always had movies and you always had radio and you always had television. Well, not always, but you know what I mean. If you talk about it in the age of media, it's like, but we're coming into, I'm talking about an age where media is controlled by less and less and less people. So it's easier for them to put out the same narrative. So who were the parents of, of the uh, millennials? Well, you're looking at the boomers, and I've talked about that, and older Gen Xers, of course. And if you want to learn more about the boomer generation, because it actually played a big part to understand where they were coming from. You can check out Anime Patrol episode 5, like I mentioned before, and it's called The Generation Goes Boom, and there I talk a little bit more about, about the boomers as parents. Now, the boomers as parents were, um, they were super parents. The boomers, just like they did everything else, they were going to just do it, like, far out, man. They were going to be the best parents ever, and... They had already pretty much um, disavowed a lot of what their parents taught and the old fuddy-duddy stuff, and they were going to go with new everything, and they were going to parent with a purpose, and everything was going to be arranged, and it was going to be just right, and it was all going to be branded, and it was all going to be approved by the media, and it was like they were just going to go with what everybody said they should do. So the kids got oshkosh by gosh playthings and high chairs and their parents read parenting magazines and, and they were just, just they were going to be the best parents that society ever saw. So they arranged play dates and they made sure their kids had all the right lessons and they made sure their kids had the most opportunities and they made sure their kids had the best diet and this was all to bring about this somehow this success, something that was just like, oh, my kid is just going to be wonderful. And very much cut off from traditional beliefs. I mean, they had to be different because that was what the boomers always did. They were going to be different from their parents. So, of course, when it comes to parenting, there was a lot of anybody that could write a book on some new idea or some new psychological way to raise kids. I mean, that's the way they went. I mean, it was like started with Dr. Spock, and I think it got worse from there. Anyway, yeah. And one of the little elements that really got going during this time and I remember this. My mother was a teacher, and I remember quite a few conversations about this. But 
the schools and the media and the parenting magazines and everything was all agreeing this super self-esteem thing was the most important thing for kids. And this was, it was just pop psychology, but everybody was sure of it. And it was about positive self-worth. And it was believed that if you could raise a child's positive self-worth, well, then they would make great accomplishments. And that fed the boomer ideal. This kind of thing was like projection. It was like, if you could just like project a positive self-worth, well, then you, because they knew that kids that had done great accomplishments, they had felt good about themselves. Nobody stopped to, you know, sit down and ponder that for a minute that maybe, yeah, if you study a bunch of kids and the ones that are really accomplished, whether they're getting high marks in school or they're, or they're playing a musical instrument or they're really good at hockey or they've just, they've excelled at something, well, look at that. They have a positive self-worth. So if you give kids a positive self-worth, well, then they'll accomplish a lot. Like I said, it was pop psychology and it was bad psychology. But it took over. It was, it was everywhere. So this was great for, for the boomers too because they wanted to protect their kids. Because remember, their kids were going to be special. They were going to be different. They were going to be just wonderful. So they could protect them using this concept of positive self-worth. Well, then they could protect their kids from failure and they could protect them from embarrassment and then they could protect from authority and you could protect them from exclusion because all these things were bad on their positive self-worth. So in the end, these children, instead of reality, having to deal with reality, all they were ever taught was how special they were. You got to dream big, you know? It's like, you can be anything you want. And a lot of that too was the whole boomer pride, like my kid's going to be everything because, you know, he's going to have everything that I didn't have or anything that I wasn't taught. And, it, you know, it was everybody wins, which again, I go back and I say, yeah, there's another little aspect that's feminine thinking. Everybody wins. Nobody loses. No competition. Yeah. So this also led to this idea that the, unfortunately, and I feel sorry for the millennials in this, they have been led to this idea of a success formula. You know, it's like if you work hard and you, and you, and you get the right opportunities and you get good grades, then, well, then you have a chance to go to a good college. And, and if you go to a good college and, and you, you get to know the right people, well, then you get a good job. And if you get a good job, then you'll get work for a good company and you'll make good money and then you'll have a good life. Like life was some kind of a formula. If you just, if the boomers could just like launch them in the right way, that everything would just be tickety boo, hunky dory. And unfortunately, reality is waiting and it doesn't work that way. Another thing the boomers did was, and, and I will give them, you know, blame for this, is the boomers. Well, they regarded their parents, the greatest generation. If you want to learn more about the greatest generation, you go to episode three. And I talk about them a little bit there. And um, the boomers regarded their parents, the greatest generation, as being stuffy and hypocritical and unfeeling. And this is because the uh, greatest generation had went through, you know, like World War II, and they went through a worldwide financial catastrophe or people didn't have enough to eat and so they were stoic they could handle things they controlled their emotions when they needed to and so the boomers looked at this and, and were very critical of it 
And so they were going to raise their kids differently. They were going to raise them more emotionally. They were going to raise them more what they call authentically. And again, I will add in in brackets, feminine. They're going to raise them more feminine. Now, that might not be such a bad thing. I mean, there. I mean, you can always criticize any generation for the way they do things, and maybe the greatest generation were a little too stiff upper lipped. Maybe they could have hugged their kids more, or whatever it was their kids were looking for. There's nothing wrong with being a little bit emotional at the right time, but the problem is this begins to give rise to this concept and. This concept, and I've talked about it before, is that somehow emotions are equal to or greater than truth. That feelings can even rise above morality. Like, don't think, feel, you know, that type of thing. And this has led to this weird thing I read. I came across this this uh, as I was going through articles and stuff. 60% of millennials guiding morality. Guiding morality, like the main idea in your life about morality if you're a millennial 60% of them feel that they'll be able to discern right from wrong by how they feel how they feel well that's a long ways from traditional morality and it's even a long ways from making any kind of sense at all feelings are notoriously fickle you need something better than just your feelings Anyway, so you add all this stuff up. Your super parenting, your self-esteem, your emphasis on the emotion, and you end up with a perfect storm. And this is probably the biggest criticism that I've seen of the millennials that I have to look at it and go, you know what? There's some truth to that. And, but by looking at this, you can see where this, some of them, they didn't even have a chance. The super parenting, the high self-esteem, the emotional emphasis leads to narcissism. And basically, I mean, you can talk about narcissism and, you know, differentiate all the different types of it and everything. But it's basically, it's chronic selfishness is what it is, if you boil it all down. So basically, the me generation is what the boomers were called by a lot of magazines at the time. The me generation, they were focused on themselves. They're going to change the world. They're going to stick them flowers in those gun barrels and stick them in their hair. And they're going to just make everything peace and love. And yeah, anyway, all that. Well, they ended up raising the me, me, me generation. So now I, this isn't something, this isn't just like, I'm just not throwing out I'm not lobbing these bombs for no reason. I mean, it's been chronicled that the narcissistic personality disorder trait is three times higher in millennials than any other generation. That's a significant number. Um, Stolid, or Stolid, standard college entrance tests. Um, I don't know exactly what these tests are, but I guess you they're kind of personality tests and general knowledge tests and stuff that you take when you're going into a major college. Anyway, some of it is, of course, there's a bit of a psych eval in there, I'm sure. And it showed a 58% rise in narcissistic traits between 1982 and 2009. So this is actually something that's been, it's it's been noticed, it's been chronicled. So just saying that, that, uh, the millennials are a bunch of narcissists. It's, but like I said, I don't really blame them. I mean, they, it's like they didn't have a chance. But now you've heard it, see? Your scout has told you. 
So if you're a millennial, maybe you better do some self-examination and see if maybe you have some narcissistic tendencies. You need to like tone that pride down a little maybe, huh? Anyway, and then you add into this, we're talking about uh, who's responsible. Well, um, the boomers are an idealistic bunch. I mean, they were the ones that were going to change the world. That's the type of people that they were. They thought in one generation they were just going to change the world. And they failed to bring about utopia because they will always fail to bring about utopia because everybody's going to fail to bring about utopia in one generation or in 10 generations for that matter. But by golly, they still believe in that stuff. If they could just get everything just right, man, they could make the world a wonderful place. And they really believe it. And mostly what it involves is telling people what to do. So they didn't do it in their own generation. And now I do believe that there's a little bit of stuff going on there. They're trying to vicariously or tried vicariously through their kids to change the world. I mean, you look at it. I mean, they taught all the causes to the kids environmentalism, anti-capitalism, socialism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All the isms, all the stuff, you know, hatred of this and acceptance of that. And, and uh, you know, we've got to boycott this company and, you know, the evils of giant corporations. And I mean, that, it's like the, the poor millennials, they got that right through the tit. Oh, maybe that's a, Maybe that's a bad thing. Maybe I'm not supposed to say that. I really meant it from a from a kind of a country way of looking at it. It's kind of like they got it from birth. <clears throat> anyway. And no, I don't edit things out. If I make a slip like that, it's it's um I don't edit. I just sit down and record this just so you know if I cough or something. It's like this means everything you're getting, you're getting it all. But anyway. So, yeah, all these causes were taught by the boomers. Now, the other thing the boomers were good at is debunking things because they did it the whole time they were growing up with the generations before. They debunked religion. They debunked um, families. They debunked societies. They debunked everything. I mean, they're really good at, like, tearing things down. Like, they could say, oh, you know, you you guys are a bunch of hypocrites and <clears throat> and, you know, you're thinking wrong. They're really good at that but they're very weak at upholding anything. So that, yeah, they're really good at protesting. Like they can, oh, they can wave signs and they can holler and they can, you know, they can tell the man, speak truth to power, all that good stuff. But they're really bad at consenting to something like just going along. So they're very politically minded. I'm talking about the boomers here, but they, this is what they taught to the millennials, but they're not very civic minded. In other words, they think in big political terms. Fight the power. Fight the man. But as far as civic-minded, like actually getting down and rolling up your sleeves, as a generation, they were poor at it. So they went and got old, raised their kids, got old, still being anti-establishment. I mean, that's their whole shtick, is their anti-establishment, even when they were the establishment. And that has given the millennials, the poor millennials, a, a cognitive dissonance that's unbelievable. I mean, I can understand why a lot of them are kind of jaded, feel a little hollow. It's pretty tough to, you know, have a whole generation saying, fight the power when they are the power. 
but do as you're told as well. I mean, uh, this is, yeah, it's nuts. But anyway, basically, the boomers were better at destroying things than they were at building things. Then the other thing that you have, and this is the final one, is about this time you have the bloom of postmodern sciencism. Notice I didn't say science. I said sciencism because if you look at the way society's gone now, it's sciencism. It's not, it's, it's a belief system anymore. It's, I mean, there is some real science in there. There's always some truth to any cult. But the whole idea of this postmodern thing where nothing means anything and that's all supposed to be science, man. It's like life is just a cosmic accident. It's all pointless. The science is settled. Don't question anything. Human life is a cancer on nature. All values are subjective. Transcendence has all been debunked. It's just you do what feels okay and 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 just go with the system. That's scientism. That's postmodernism. So you start adding all this up and you start looking how it's all connected, how the parents read the magazines and the magazines are the same companies that own the television shows and the television shows put out a certain story and that certain story backed up. You see everything begins to interconnect, interconnect, interconnect. And I mean, you just go through life, you listen to your parents and then you go to school and you listen to what they tell you in school and what you say in school or what they say in school adds up with what the media is saying and then you get together with your friends and suddenly you're all interconnected and it's all about how you get along with your friends, you know, and what they say and and especially when you go on a wider media, it's not just your friends, it's it's like the general public, it's like all your thoughts get stuck on a bulletin board in the middle of town or something. And then you have to worry about mobs all the time. This interconnection, interconnection, interconnection. You know, I tried and I tried and I tried to come up with a way to just explain it all. And I couldn't. It was just too interconnected. So I could spend another hour making all these connections. But like I said at the beginning, I decided what I'd do here. Because I would tell you a story. And yes, it's a story I wrote. It's not a great story. The plot's bad. But I tried to get into the mind of what this would be like as a millennial. What would it be like growing up with all this interconnection? So I'm going to tell this story. And I want you to look for all the variables that all make up the connections. And ask yourself, could this be you? All right, here's my story, and believe it or not, I called it The Millennial. For as long as you can remember, there was the plan, the narrative for your life. You were always important. Your guardians and teachers said so. They cared about your feelings. You knew you would be successful because you always got a gold star along with everyone else. You were taught how necessary it was to get along with everyone, treat everyone the same, how everyone's feelings were important. You were taught how crucial it was to follow the rules. You were taught to trust the teachers and all the other experts of the plan. They knew what was best. The plan would keep you safe. The plan would keep you on track. The plan would lead you to success. The structure 
and the narrative never went away. Even as you got older, if you had any doubts, I mean, you could just turn on any device and you could see what the others thought because they always knew what was up. If you shared something good, you found approval as long as it followed the narrative. When the collective approved, you felt great. You felt good about your identity. You felt good about yourself. And the last thing you wanted was the wrong kind of attention from the matrix or worse, no attention at all. You became older and there was more and more to do. Sometimes you looked at all you were doing and you laughed with your friends. You called it adulting. There was always the formula and there was always the plan, the plan to be successful. Sometimes you did everything right and things didn't turn out and that made you angry. Something was wrong with the system. Somebody must be to blame. If you could just find success, if you could just find your identity, and if you could just find the recognition that was part of the destination. I mean, if there was no destination, why was there a plan? Always there was a little more to do, more to accomplish, more to fix, more to be. Sometimes you feel confused and burnt out. You're working within the plan. Where's the recognition? Where's the success? You're constantly examining the others. Have they found success? I mean, you know you're smart. You know you work hard. You've played by the rules. You're not judgmental or bigoted. And you're willing to work on and in the system. Why no recognition of your worth? Shouldn't that come with the success? It's only late at night with all the devices off and you're all alone. You finally begin to think, what is success? Yeah, so anyway, I wrote that. Maybe that was a coward's way out to just write a story instead of trying to find all the interconnected dystopian systems that come together in the making of the millennial mind. But it was pretty complicated, and I thought it might get boring. The story was a little more interesting. I mean, this is a fire talk. I'll just conclude that by saying sometime in the 20th century, if... This is all too long, didn't read, you don't remember anything else. Just remember this. Sometime in the 20th century, the experts got together and they decided that there was no such thing as a natural order. And nothing in life possessed any inherent objective value. All values were subjective. And all values were trivial in the end. So what we have here is a race to make all the humans docile, egalitarian, homogeneous, and very, very manipulable. I can never say that right by the system. Let me read that again. I will conclude but that by saying in sometime in the 20th century, the experts decided that there was no such thing as natural order and nothing in life possessed an inherent objective value, that all values were subjective and trivial. So then the race was on to make all the humans docile, egalitarian, and homogeneous and very, very manipulable by the system. 
So if you would like to have your mind and your soul back, well, I think the bottom line is you got to learn how to think and not what to think. You got to learn to think more independently. Maybe it's time if you, if you've listened to this and you went, you know what, that's, there's a lot of that. That's just like me. Like I'm really worried about what other people think. I'm always looking at my phone. I'm always looking at what the media is saying. I feel so confused. I feel like I don't really know where I'm going and what I'm doing. Well, then you got to learn to think more independently. I mean, that's the first step in getting responsible for your own life. But if you want to start, you know, working that mind that, it's not just learning how to think and not what to think. Maybe it's time to go back and do something that you probably never did in school. Go back and read some ancient books. Go read about the ancient Greeks. Go read about their philosophies. Read about their governments. Read some old stories. You don't even have to go back all the way to the Greeks. Just read older stories and think about more traditional attitudes and moralities. Go back to say any say anything before. Well, I'm just kind of going out on a limb here. Let's say you go before 1900. And while you're doing this, get rid of the idea that ancient people were dumb, or older generations were dumb, or older people were stupid. Because just because they didn't have cell phones and their technology wasn't as good, the, as far as wrestling with the questions of life. They actually spent more time at it than your average modern-day person that has a cell phone and a computer and access to the internet. They had more practice in learning how to think instead of what to think than we do. Also understand that there is no earthly plan, there's no earthly discipline, there's no earthly ideology that you can follow and win any kind of a prize. Just like in that story that I read, there is no plan. Learn to grow in incremental steps to reach a goal, to take responsibility. So instead of thinking that if you just follow the plan that something's going to be handed to you, or if you just follow the plan, it'll come to you. No, if you want something, then you've got to learn it, work at it, and get it in small steps to reach that goal. You have to take responsibility for it. Learn to rise above peer grouping and identity and these ideas about group identity and, and your peer group. Learn to realize that you're an individual and you have to grow as an individual. That will help you to cultivate empathy and maybe learn to view different opinions and learn to understand them. Learn the difference between boldness and courage. You know, that's one thing. That's the other thing that I, you know, when reading about the millennials, it was like, wow, well, they kind of know-it-alls and they, they knew everything. And, and I, so I looked at some of the things that they were saying and it's like, it was pretty easy to see that deep down inside a lot of the millennials, they don't really, feel, they don't have the conviction. And that's the difference between boldness and courage. Courage has conviction. In other words, you can have an idea and a thousand people tell you you're wrong and you just go, no, I'm going to stand up for this because I have conviction in it. Boldness just would fizzle out at that point. I would say another thing that millennials got to do is quit drinking the globalism Kool-Aid already. 
I mean, you can barely understand your own neighborhood. You don't even understand yourself. And you're just going along, nodding along to this idea that the whole globe's going to be ruled. And it's all just going to be right because it'll all go with the plan. There is no plan except rule. So stop drinking that globalism Kool-Aid. It just, oh. Start taking responsibility for the life, your life on a small scale. Learn something. Get some convictions, your own belief system. Quit just thinking that you can hook on to the hay wagon of some cool sounding thing like globalism and it makes you all hip and forward and see i don't even i don't know all the lingo anymore i would say it doesn't make you cool i don't know if people still use cool or not but anyway um reacquaint yourself with the idea of sovereignty the sovereignty of the individual but each person is important i mean really important not like important like everybody gets a gold star important i mean like each individual is sovereign Start renouncing that that rule of the invisible collective, you know, that idea that there's out there is this this collective of people and you're just supposed to get along with it. If you want to learn more about that, you can go listen to Enemy Patrol episode four. I go into that a little bit more. This this weird thing that everybody just kind of goes along with this idea that well, you just got to go along. There is no invisible collective. It's about individuals getting along together. So anyway, that's probably enough to leave you with today. I my time rolls along here, so but I will give you uh I I'm gonna give you some I always do this at the end, you know. I always give a few steps. I, I got a couple little ones here that you can do that kind of goes along with what I've been talking about learning because I was talking about going back and reading some ancient things, some old things. Well, here I'll give you I'll give you some. But before I do that, let me just uh add in there that you know this this reading when you do this reading, if you just if you actually sit down and do it and actually think about it, it's going to help. Read it more than once. So, before I do this, before I give you this reading list, um in episode six, I said, I used to do this diatribe um, and I was just because I was adding things in, in the first few enemy patrols that I went through. I was just, uh, I was adding up things. I started out with exercise and getting off your devices, finding nature and I had all this stuff. And I, I realized well into it, like episode five, I think I noticed it. And I think in episode six, I said, it's like, I'm not going to do this every time. I am just going to tell you what I used to hear when I was a kid all the time. And I, if you want, if you want to actually read it, it it's in uh, one of my blog posts. It's, it's called uh, Old Men New. And it was uh, something I heard from old guys when they were telling kids to just quit watching television and get outside and do something. And here it goes. It goes like this. Get off the couch and turn off that boob tube. You're not going to learn nothing watching that thing. Get outside and get the stink blowed off you. Get some exercise. If this keeps up, the country's going to be full of people with wide, soft asses and even softer heads. Something like that. I'll probably change it up a little bit each time. But that's generally telling you to just learn to shut things off and go out and do something interesting. Go out and see, find some nature. 
Make your body work. Anyway, while you're out and about, before you shut your devices off, well, maybe there's some things you want to look up and read about. So here's your reading list. It starts out, I'm going to start out with two poems. Read Rudyard Kipling's If and The Gods of the Copybook Headings. Read those two poems. Think about them. Read them again. Think about them some more. Read them some more. Think about them some more. Think of what you decide about that. Now, you're going to have to get around some things, like when you read The Gods of the Copybook Headings. For instance, you'll have to figure out what the heck a copybook is, but I'll leave that up to you. The other thing you can read is uh, the Bible. Now, I know, I know, you're worried it's going to burn your fingers off or something, but I promise you it won't. And the book I'm going to give you to read in the Bible, because remember, the Bible is a whole bunch of separate books. I want you to read the book of Ecclesiastes. Yes, the whole book. Just sit down and read it. It's kind of like reading poetry a little bit. But anyway, in there, the book of Ecclesiastes, that's the story of a man who had everything. He had all the power. He had everything. He was the media. He was the elite. He was the top of the top. He was the cream of the crop. Everybody knew him. Everybody still knows him. With Solomon. Anyway, see what he has to say about life. All the things that he did. I mean, he did everything. He had the most money. He had the most women. He had the most riches. He had the most land. He had, he built gardens. He planned palaces. He wrote books. He studied everything he could study. He was known as the wisest man in the world and on and on and on. See where that led him. The other book that I will get you to read is, uh, it's a book by C.S. Lewis. It's called The Abolition of Man. So if you can get your way around those two poems and then get your way around Ecclesiastes, maybe you can take on The Abolition of Man. It's a, it's quite a read. And that one, what you have to get around is the kind of weird um, uh, English vernacular. And of course, he was writing in 1943, so it was a different time. So you got to get your mind wrapped around that. But And if you got no time to read that entire book, which it's a fairly short book, but if you got no time and you just want to read a really good article about it, uh, The Art of Manliness uh, has a really good blog post. I'm not sure what the date was, but it was called Men Without Chests which I would say at least go and read that article because if anything describes the millennials, it's the men without chest. When he says the men without chest, he's talking about no heart, no value system. So, yeah. And it's kind of funny. He was writing that back in 1943. I think it was around that time. And I'm afraid, Millennials, he had you pegged. And he doesn't blame you at all. He pretty much said this is the way things were going to turn out if things kept going the way they were going. So, yes. So, like I said, the site called The Art of Manliness and the blog post is called Men Without Chests. say goodbye to this time around the fire if you want more you can find me at anomicranger.com that's my website you can send me an email at animepatrolhq at yahoo.com and don't forget to like subscribe review all that good stuff and don't forget 
Until we meet again. Keep an edge in your knife. Keep your matches dry. Because life is a one-time adventure. Learn to live it that way. Vea con Dios, eh?